Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and because of recent events at the U.S. Capitol and the pending transfer of power, I want to share with you the Libertarian Christian Roundtable episode that we usually just post on our YouTube channel. We don't usually put this on our podcast unless it's a special topic. But this, of course, is a special topic. And so we had our usual Norman Horn, myself, Kerry Baldwin, but we also had Jason Rink, who has been following the Stop the Steal movement over the last few months and was actually there at the Capitol. So I will, without further ado, simply let you listen to the roundtable episode that we recorded on January 9th. So it was soon after the events. I didn't realize it's a couple of weeks ago, but they're still relevant and it will give us a lot of food for thought. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Libertarian Christian Roundtable, where we address and assess the news from a libertarian and Christian perspective. And this is the first roundtable that we've done in 2021. Good riddance. And it's a dumpster fire already. Yes, and it's a dumpster. <laughs> like, our, our seven-day trial is over, and we're still stuck with, uh, <laughs> with, with what, what, we're, what we're being given. Can, and, can oh, I return it and go straight to 2022? I know, right? <laughs> uh, so we've, but then we've, we're in another election year, so that's Oh, too- no. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. This is like Sophie's choice. This is crazy. Yeah, so um, we... <laughs> And uh, we have a special guy joining us tonight because Matt Bellis couldn't be on with us because he lost a bet with Carrie. And uh, we needed to replace him <laughs> with somebody uh, as Patriarchy good or smashed. better. Uh, so we got, Jay, we, got, we got our good buddy Jason Rink with us. And the, the real reason he's here is because he was in Washington. Uh, we're recording this second weekend in January. And recently there was a, oh, a mild kerfluffle Shindag. or really, Shindag. you know, shindig yeah. at the Capitol. Um, a brouhaha. A brouhaha. I don't want to make too much light of this because it's serious news. Uh, yeah. My son is sick of me talking about this with adults uh, and he's <laughs> overhearing it. And I'm like, dude, whether you care what happens or not, this is a major thing. Um, and this is something to at least notice in your life that's happening. And uh, so we're going to talk about it. But Jason was there and he was... He was there for reasons I'll I'll let him explain, but basically I've been hearing that a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I was there and I saw this and the media is reporting that. And then other people would say, well, I was there too and I saw this and that didn't happen and the media is reporting that. And then we, I see my other friends who aren't very sympathetic toward the, what happened. Uh, well, I'm watching it on the news and I saw that that happened. You couldn't have told me that that didn't happen. You were on the other side of the building or whatever, wherever else they were on, you know, nearby the Capitol. So Jason, what really happened? I mean, you were the, you had a million cameras there capturing everything from all angles, right? Yeah, well, somewhat. So after the election this year, I decided to make a movie called The Steel because I got really interested in this story of the election integrity thing, right? I, I immediately saw this was going to be a, a thing. And when the first rally that happened right after the election in DC, I noticed that there was this sort of like Tea Party vibes going on. And I was like, hmm, what's happening here? So 
don't want to go off on a rabbit trail on that, but I've essentially been on the road on and off for the last eight weeks with the camera team. And we've been covering all of the, essentially the stop to steal protests and movement that has, that culminated with this event on the 6th. In fact, Ali Alexander, who is the founder of Stop to Steal, is the one who suggested this sixth event. And then um, Donald Trump sort of put his stamp of approval on it. So that's kind of how that went down. And so what was what was supposed to happen was that there would be this event that Trump was speaking at. That was the event that happened at the Ellipse. That event was massive. It was people were filled all the way from the Ellipse to uh, the Washington Monument. And it was at least, you know, it was multiple or at least one huge block wide of people spilling off to the side. So there was hundreds of thousands of people there. I've heard people say there was a million people in town. I don't know what the number was. But um, there was also supposed to be an, a, a permitted event that Stop the Steal was having on the other side of the Capitol. So uh, there was a, a stage set up and it was permitted. And the Capitol Police knew and had been in contact that there was going to be people moving from the event that Trump was holding over to that place on the Capitol. And so what I can tell you is that I actually went over to the Capitol before Trump was done speaking because I was responsible for making sure that a video team was set up at that, at that stage. And so if you've been to the Capitol, you know there's like the reflecting pool and then there's the space between the reflecting pool and the front of the Capitol. And then when you go around the back of the Capitol, the Supreme Court's over there and there's, a, there's another lawn back there. So I made the trek all the way over to the Capitol and Trump still had another 30 to 45 minutes of speaking that he was doing by the time I was even going over there. I, I left Trump's speech, you know, like 20 minutes into it or whatever. And so I made the trek over and I noticed that there was, you know, many people already heading that way. And so I actually rolled up on the front of the Capitol, because I was looking for where the stage was. I knew it was small, but I, I didn't realize it was on the back side. And when I got up there, I actually have video because I was right there when the first people started jumping over the barricades. I was really taken aback. And when I say barricades, they were just like these metal fences. And it's sort of like they put up these barricades to get prevent you from getting on the steps. And then you go up the steps and that's where the doors are. And so then there's going to be additional types of security normally up there. And when I saw that initial breach, number one, I decided not to get involved in it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Smart the, move. <laughs> the, film, the filmmaker in me wanted to get right in there, but I was like, all right, this doesn't seem like a good idea. The other thing I noticed, however, was how few police there were in that great space between these just aluminum fences that you could tip over. They were not, they were, it was not secure. Right. The space between those fences and the Capitol doors was very sparse with, with police. There was very few. And so, and at this point you had thousands of people. So thousands of people were just starting to pour in and behind them were tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands who were eventually going to make it over there. So that was like the way things were going down. And so I would say it, it, it seemed kind of 
just organic. It seemed sort of like a madness of crowd situation. Like Definitely. when I look at the people who were in front of me who were doing it, they were all had their Trump flags. They were Trump people. I know there's been some discussion about whether there's like Antifa infiltrators or whatever. And I can tell you that whether you go to an Antifa event or BLM event or a Trump event, you're going to have opposition there, either seeking to cause trouble, counter protest, or act like they're part of it. Like that, that, that element is always present. But mm-hmm. I think anybody who's trying to spin it that way is it, Re- that's not reaching. confused. Yeah. Like there is video of people who look like they're Antifa trying to break doors down. And it's like, okay, we can determine some things from that, but the thousands of other people that are in that scenario, like are on the Capitol steps. They weren't supposed to be there. They're up on the scaffolding. Like all of that was the way it was. And so I I think when you look at what happened, you have to look at it in, in sort of three phases. Like the the march to the Capitol was known about, was going to happen. There was even permits taken out for an event to happen over there. So you have to ask yourself about why the lax amount of security given what was going to happen. I think that's a problem. The second thing is the distinction between where people should have been on the Capitol and where they ended up going. So once people ended up going up on the Capitol structure, the steps, the mm-hmm. balconies, all of that, that's that's one breach. And then there's going into the Holy of Holies, right? So yeah, what's the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies. <laughs> I don't know if the Holy of Holies is Nancy Pelosi's office or the Senate <laughs> chamber, but, uh, but yeah. And so there were sort of like three levels to that breach. And I'll, I'll try to put a button on this, but, and what I can tell you is I spoke to several people. Number one, we, for the film we were making, we interviewed Buffalo Man, the famous picture of the guy with the horns and the painted face. We interviewed him like a month ago. And so what was funny is my filmmaking partner texted me a photo of that guy standing in the Capitol, you know, and like in the Senate. And he goes, oh my God, Jake did it. And it was this guy that we interviewed. And, and it was like, there he was like flexing in, in the Senate. And we're like, how did he get in there? So we ended up actually interviewing them the next morning and he's already in custody at the feds right now. So that's that's interesting. Um, we, we may be making the Buffalo Man documentary. So I'll keep <laughs> on that. But, oh my goodness. Uh, but uh, the, the point being, so you had guys like that who are sort of almost performance artists, QAnon types. You had some other guys that I would get, that I would consider pranksters right? The guy with the taking the podium and the guy with mm-hmm. his feet on the desk, taking Nancy's gavel. I imagine... He's been in custody apparently as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine people drew profane images on stationery, you know, like all of the things like eighth graders would do, who, yeah. would, who would do that. And then you had other people. I talked to a guy from Texas who came out and he showed me some video inside the Capitol. Totally regular guy, just walked around in there shot some video, was like, huh, this is interesting, left, had no problem getting in and out. And then you had people who were angry and violent enough that they wanted to knock down doors and get inside. And some people, I think, wanted to get into session and 
you know, give people a piece of their mind. Now, what I would yeah. tell you is I am not aware of a single armed individual in that crowd. Now, I don't know what the reports are, but like bringing guns into D.C. is like a big no-no. Like uh, uh, people don't do it that. I, I don't know pe that people do it that often. And, and at these events, I didn't see a single gun. I don't know that there ever was a gun anywhere or anybody armed. I, I've seen some people try to try to describe this as an armed event. Like it, like it's, yeah. it wasn't like th this was just a bunch of, all of people the, at a rally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of all the times you would have seen a, a group of people gather together, if they could have brought their weapons, they would have done it. I mean, th there's been yeah. plenty of open carry events. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and except, except you got to realize a lot of these people were just over an event that Trump was speaking at. Yeah. So they actually had to pass through some sort of security oh, yeah. membrane yeah. of yeah, yeah, some yeah. Po point for a, a broad amount of that. Plus, there was a lot of freaking, you know, others. So over where Trump was speaking, there was a ton of security, yeah. right? Just over by the Capitol. So th that's the other reason why I think... I don't think there was armed people. You could, you could have your occasional person who had arms. Pipe bombs were found. I don't know. Yeah, what the what's the about. deal with that? I mean, well, again, I just think when you get hundreds of thousands of people gathered together in any place, we're dealing with a little bit of the law of statistics there, right? Sure, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I don't think you can spend too much time on it. I'm like, oh, only two pipe bombs, right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but but yeah, so. So anyway, that, that's kind of, that's that's how I, and, and we sort of just sat on the outside and filmed some of the stuff going on. And like literally people were hanging out, chanting on the Capitol steps, balconies for a couple of hours. And then what happened is, and I know we've seen some video where like, it looks like the Capitol Police just let people walk in. What happened was they got a lot of riot police to come in and surround the place. Mm -hmm. And I do know when that happened, then they started to move people out of the Capitol and into that confrontation. Now, I know there was a confrontation when people got into the Capitol. So yeah. I'm not I'm not saying there wasn't that. But I do also know that there was this point at which riot police were moved into perimeter it and then they pushed everybody out. Right. So the, and that I just noticed that. So, and then, then it was diffused and then they put the, uh, the city basically on curfew. So most of what I, I, I saw one description. Okay. Somebody was shot by a cop who was trying to get in. A cop died and three people died of what was called medical emergencies. And I don't know where that happened. So that was all of the early reporting is what it said. So I'm currently only prepared to put two people as a casualty of the event one person who was trying to break in and one person it was shot by an officer and one person and one officer that got injured. And so, um, the, can you know what the circumstances be behind that were? I mean, how did, how did the so, cop get, I, I don't know the circumstances behind that cop. So I think it was a separate event than the yeah. other thing. Oh yeah. It was definitely separate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the other thing I would say, so I, I saw somebody describe this as, as the coup scripted by National Lampoon's Animal House. And granted, it's like, I don't want to keep clarifying, like, yeah, somebody died, multiple people died. Like, not to brush over that. Yeah. But there was an aspect of it where it was like, it was like a, it felt like a prank, a takeover by pranksters. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's 
how it felt. And that's when you were looking at what people were doing, it's like, I was like, if there were, if you could drink beers here, people would be passing around cases of Coors Light, like hanging <laughs> off the rafters, waving their uh, MAGA flags and, um, you know, uh, chanting F Antifa or Fox News sucks, right? Because <laughs> what after Fox called Arizona, they're dead. They're dead to they're the dead to them. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, that's man. what I experienced there. Um, I, I will say the other thing too, and this comes from my interviewing with uh, the Buffalo man, the QAnon sh- shaman. And, uh, you know, QAnon is a dimension of the MAGA movement and of the election discussion that I think people need to understand because it's very present. It Certain things make sense the more you understand what's going on with QAnon. And the, as far at least as the I, way they think that is. Yeah, yeah. Me, meaning understanding the mindset of a yeah. person who's motivated by yeah. the QAnon right. conspiracy. And um, I believe, I haven't personally confirmed this, but I heard early reports that the social media feed of the woman who who was killed was pretty into it. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and that doesn't surprise me, uh, partially because I have talked to two people who are QAnon. Um, okay, well, one person- talked to Buffalo Man. Yeah, <laughs> Buffalo Man. And I asked him point blank. This is Now, this is on the 7th. This is two days ago. Do you believe Donald Trump is still going to become president on inauguration day? The answer is yes. The other, the other, wow. the other person I can tell you is Mike Lindell, Mr. My Pillow. Uh, I don't know if you know who, the, who he is, if you've seen the My Pillow ads, but Mike Lindell, he's he's very involved. And I, I, I'm not saying this in any way that to, of disrespect at all. Like I think Mike is like cares about America. He's like he's definitely right wing. He's definitely MAGA. But he's he's also like convinced that Trump's still going to become president, right? And people who tend to to roll with like Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell and all of this tend to be more influenced by the QAnon ideas. This is what I've seen and discovered. Mm-hmm. And so most of the people who go down that path still think that something's going to happen that's going to produce Donald Trump as president. And I just have a curiosity around how that would motivate somebody to maybe how that would motivate your actions potentially in that situation. I'm not, I'm just speculating. I'm just saying if I was there and I'm like, it's almost like it's, it's not a prophecy, but it's like Donald Trump is still going to become president no matter what I see before me. And it's like, and if I'm part of this part of the move of, of history of almost yeah. What is to be? Mm. How might that convince me? Yeah. That maybe I need to go get inside the the Senate chambers. I don't know. So those are some thoughts that I have about that. But um, yeah. I yeah. don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> That's like, well, the, I, I think the the question that I have, or not question, but like the thoughts that I have is like getting behind the mindset of people who who are there. And obviously there's there's a number of motivations going on there and I've had to chat with a few people who are like kind of disgusted with this whole thing or confused and it's like what on earth is going on here like this sounds terrible this is the worst. And the first thing you have to say is that like just cuz you're watching it on the news doesn't mean that's how it went down. 
right? Like they're going to spin it in a way that makes you afraid so that you keep coming back to them. Yeah. And there's that element to it. And that doesn't mean they're telling you falsehoods. It just means that they've got their way of telling it. But the second thing was getting behind the mindset of people who feel they've been cheated, of people who feel that they've been looked down upon for decades by the people who they lost to. You know, it yields results and grievances that many of which are legitimate. Now, the actions that take place are, you know, obviously, you know, people are responsible for their actions. But I think sort of, you know, the left always talks about empathy and they don't have empathy for this. And even just hearing the you know, the 10 minutes that you told, Jason, like you, you set the stage for sort of like, here's kind of what happened, not kind of, here's, here's what happened from a narrative perspective rather than a, here, I'm going to report to you and, t- and use words like extremist and terrorist and wing, uh, you know, hyphen wing at the end of, you know, things to <laughs> sort of make you mm-hmm. put a mental picture on what it is. And you just called them people. Trump supporters over here, movement over here, of course you're going to see what happened happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I think something that's important also to understand is is the context of the last two months for people who voted for Donald Trump. So, number one, Donald Trump increased his vote share significantly. Let's operate in this conversation as though vote totals are accurate. For let's, Can we be on that page? Sure, Great. sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's assume that that Joe Biden got 80 million votes and Donald Trump got 73 million or 74 million or whatever it is. That's a ton of people. And it's more than voted for him before. And when you consider what the narrative has been towards Trump and Trump supporters from the left, when you consider that COVID happened on his presidency, when you consider like all he was almost impeached, all of these things that typically you would think he should have lost support. He, that didn't occur. Right. And so then, as a result of that, we have a situation where a, a large percentage of those people believe that illegalities occurred across right. multiple states that handed the election to Joe Biden. And then what's happened over the last eight to 10 weeks it has been going from that being basically um, ignored as some crazy joke to 180 Congress people, I believe, or 150 at least, and like a dozen senators were actually going to object to those electoral votes, like starting with zero, getting to there. So you've got to recognize that there was a a uh, number of weeks of rallies, of momentum, of things happening. There just was a whole lot go- that has gone, had gone on leading up to this day, getting people to either think that something was going to change in the outcome, they really wanted it to change in the outcome, they were really hoping it would, they saw pieces falling into place perhaps. Like there was, so I, I guess the other thing I would say is like, when we look at what you have there is you have people who are angry, they feel cheated, they felt marginalized. The ones who voted for Trump four years ago feel like he was never given a chance to govern because he was just, from the day he entered the office, the Democrats were trying to take him out. Again, I'm just, I'm explaining to you all yeah, yeah. the yeah. perspective. And now you're basically at Trump's last speech 
you know, like, and, uh, and at the same time, <laughs> right across the lawn, the senator, senators and the Congress people are getting ready to confirm Joe Biden as president. So I just think the emotional, and that's, that's where I think the conversation about did Trump incite violence or did like, this isn't a conversation about a line in a speech. This is a conversation about several months or even years of momentum of, building. Yeah. yeah. And there's of, a trajectory happening going yeah. on there. And here's what I, what I really believe. I think that if people are going to look at Donald Trump or Trump supporters as the problem uh, or as the powder keg, I'm going to say that the, the mainstream media was the match for this because the fact of the matter is, is that many, many things have not been fairly reported on for, for a yeah. long time. And I personally believe, this is where I am going to say, I actually think there's aspects of, of the reporting around COVID that was a little bit of the dry run for the co- reporting around the election. Like I, hmm. the, average, the, average, the average person that I'm going to talk to doesn't know a lot about some of the actual things that they don't really know what happened in many of these states in the state legislatures around some of this stuff, aren't aware of some of the actual evidence that these people are holding on to that prove or build a case for um, the election fraud or illegal elections that they don't feel has gotten the light of day. And I, I'm just, I guess what I would say is I think a lot of people, I, I think Trump supporters overall are against lockdowns. They're against masking. And so you're actually coming also out of a, a year of feeling the boot of the government shutting down your business, telling you, taking your liberties away. Like this is the framework or this is the groundwork or the foundation of like a Boston Tea Party moment in many yeah. ways. Yeah. So I think the more interesting conversation is kind of there. I know I'm straying, but I'll, I'll stop talking. Oh, it's but. all good. Carrie, Carrie, I, one of the things that I noted, you talked about Carrie, is that like, there's been a lot of protests this year. And mm-hmm. in those protests, a lot of looting has happened on private property. And it's not yeah. necessarily, and, and of course, many of just, bystanders, if you will, of, you know, just storefronts being there that were, that were looted. Uh, and they, they, they weren't part of the problem, right? but the, the source of, not, I want to say the problem or all problems, you know, like the love of money is the root of all the evil, but uh, you know, is like Congress. But you, you basically said that like, at least this group took the fight to the people who are truly oppressing them. Right. Or, or well, maybe you put it a little differently, but that's the gist at least. Well, you know, the, the idea, at least from, a constitutional perspective is that we have a right to redress of grievances Mm -hmm. and there's a litany of grievances. Obviously I didn't even, when I first started seeing the reports coming out from DC, I didn't immediately think about all of the BLM protests from over the summer. It wasn't until some of my leftist friends or left leaning friends were like, stop comparing this to BLM. And I was like, you've got to be kidding because, you know, at the very least, you have a huge segment of people who do have in common this litany of grievances. They're taking it to the Congress on the day that the Congress is supposed to certify the election. And, you know, that's what they're supposed to do, right? Now, I was 
I, you know, didn't endorse any of the, you know, breach of the, of the Capitol building, but, you know, taking a podium, (laughs) going into the Holy of Holies, so to speak, like that (laughs) all seemed like absolutely small, you know, just, it was, it was tiny. And the BLM, you know, the BLM riots that went on for seven months, it was condemned only by Republicans for the most part. It was encouraged by the media and and politicians, Democrats. Way more people died or were injured, and you had tons of property damage, even to federal buildings. You had way more damage to federal buildings. If the complaint with this with this protest is, oh, there was damage to the Capitol building, it's like, okay, fine, fair enough. If that's the problem, why weren't you outraged about the BLM protests? Hey, Carrie, I, yeah. I won't interrupt except for to say what's interesting to note is that the Senate, like they carried on business like four hours later in the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah. It was so not vandalized that like they actually were able to finish the work of the day. And right. I've seen some of the other federal buildings that have were the were the source of that. And that's not wouldn't have been possible. So it's just interesting to note that. Well, yeah, yep. the you know, there's there's some really heavy rhetoric. You know, they're calling this a violent insurrection. They're calling it's it terrorism. terrorism. And it's like, okay, we have been allegedly beefing up national security and national defense over terrorism and domestic terrorism for almost two decades now. No, two decades. It'll be two decades this yeah. year. And they were able to just waltz in there. Like, that, so that what is, doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't add up, you know, you know, they had, they had permits for the event. Like, so that's how domestic terrorism works. Right. Just go get a permit. <laughs> they just go get a permit and they can, and they can walk, walk in there. I mean, well, see, if, that just goes to show how white privilege works. You can get a permit for terrorism oh if you're right. <laughs> yes. Ah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. You know, We've been using the the term holy of holies and temple, and we've been using that language, and it's not by accident. It's not only tongue-in-cheek. We kind of have a smirk when we say it. But Norman, I'd love to hear you explain why exactly these words are more appropriate than just, you know, calling it that because it's a, a, a neat... Con- it's funny. It's conventional and uh, just... Or coincidental that there's this outer inner and holy of holies yeah. or something. Well, it dovetails nicely with what Carrie's saying uh, in that... You know, why Why does it seem like people are more up in arms about this, or at least some segment of the population is? And it has to do with a religious belief, in my opinion, about what the yeah. United States federal government is. And that is, you know, that it is, it is a sacred institution. If you listen to Cory Booker go on his impassioned speech after the Senate reconvened, he talked about that uh, these people, you know, defiled the seat Mm. of democracy, as if that were like, what, what does that mean? How do you get to that point? Well, it requires you to take a position about the nature of this, about our government, about the, the system that we are in, that can only be really accounted for as religion and you, the use of religious language surrounding it. And so when I say they, def, you know, they entered the Holy of Holies, well, that's, I mean, that's the picture uh, that was, to me, that was epitomized by Mr. Buffalo Bill or whatever his name is, <laughs> a Buffalo man in the Senate chamber and taking his position at the, at the top of it. Uh, and that, to me, it was like, oh man, like that's, that's going, this is going to be the, the picture seen around the globe on this one. Um, and that's, and it's remarkable to consider that. That's why people are up in arms about this is that they, they, 
are not concerned that you know a, a house may have gotten burned down during a, an Antifa demonstration or a BLM protest or whatever. Not to say that they didn't have legitimate grievances either. Not to say that there weren't good people to do that. And that even perhaps many of those protests were indeed mostly peaceful. But they can't say that here. Yeah, They're not going to because there's, there are additional commitments that they are making in the, the rhetoric that's going to surround this. Yeah. That is it. This, this, well, is, one of, this is one of the things that uh, honestly kind of gets under my skin about like, I think one of the best things Trump has done is delegitimize the presidency. Darn right. Is, yeah. and, is, and we should be yep. clear, like, we hate, we cannot stand presidents here. Like, we yeah, yeah, we right. despise them. Yeah, We're right. already <laughs> against the next yeah. 20 We're presidents. We're against the next whatever. one. Yeah. <laughs> but to a certain degree, like, when it's come down to, like, who'd you prefer, right? Yeah, between yeah. the two guys, right? It's like... I prefer Biden, the girl. Biden, repre- Biden represents to me the re-legitimizing and the re-establishing of the holy honor of this yeah. total charade. And it's yeah. like, whereas I like the yeah. idea that Trump is tweeting while he's going to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) you know, like you're not, you're not wrong. I mean, like, I think that this is, this is a really interesting thing because what we're even seeing now with the reaction to the entirety of the, of, of Jan 6 is essentially this, I mean, for for lack of better terms, this is, we're now hitting scapegoating level. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we have seen, you know, now the rivals have, have established themselves I mean, even you see that you see even now that oh well, everybody, all the Republicans are abandoning him. You know why? It's because the rivals are now realizing, hey, we have a scapegoat that we can kill. His name is Donald Trump. Now that doesn't mean that Donald Trump is the good guy here. Right. I mean, that's that that's he's he's the new scapegoat king. He will be killed in the sense of uh, ritually humiliated in this sense, and uh, and there'll be there could be a relative peace that surrounds it. The question is, is there going to be even more backlash as a result? Mm. Because there is definitely still instability. Yeah. So I, I want to continue and wrap this up a bit by us talking about how on earth do we assess this as Christian libertarians or as libertarian Christians? I mean, my first thought is, well, we never advocate for violence. And, you know, both as libertarian and as Christian, and even, you know, of course, I don't know. I mean, part of me rolls my eyes when I think the media is misre- when I think of how the media has, has reported this, like, oh, this violent protest or whatever. I'm like, well, no, nah, not really, not not exactly, not in the same way, right. um, and not in ways that other countries have seen. I mean, we, you know, this isn't Russia, but you know, we don't advocate for violence, but you know, we are going to have to move forward and think about what this means for being represented, what this means for if, if people are into voting, you know, what this means for like trusting the voting system in two years or in four years, depending on when you vote. Um, so there's a big trust factor there. So it doesn't even matter if the, like, let's say for the sake of argument, and, and I don't have any reason to doubt this yet, maybe all fair Jason can convince me or something, but uh, <laughs> th- that there's a bigger case than I think there is. But let, just for legitimacy's sake, it doesn't really matter that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. If there's a sizable number of people who don't believe that, there's eroded trust. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the story. No matter, yeah. no matter what the real the reality is, it's like there are people who actually believe this. And, yeah. and I don't mean that as in like, Oh my goodness! How could they believe this? No, those are those are things that they feel legitimate, uh, that are that are legitimate. So there is a there is a erosion of trust alongside uh, along that we're going to be a period of, of an erosion of trust that's going to go in here. You know, I almost 
posted on Facebook and I was just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to be mature and not do this. But I, I said, you know, 2020 would have gone a whole lot better if, if uh, backward redneck people would have just listened to the people they don't trust. Because that's essentially <laughs> what we were told. We, that's essentially, we who were against lockdown is what I mean by that. Um, mm-hmm. If we just, you know, we, we would just obey our betters or our overlords, right. as Tom Woods always says. Um, we, we would just have had a better year. You know, we just got to listen to the people in charge. So that trust is eroding. And this is sort of a culmination of that, I think. There's so many things that you could unpack there. Um, but I, I think start off, to start off on the violence edge, you know, the first thing, you know, yes, we, we, are, we abhor violence. We don't use it to get what we want. Uh, we, we have to realize as, as Christians that we are the beacons of peace in this regard. This is not the way that we behave. We take a different stand. And we don't say, think that the, that the kingdoms of this world are going to last, that they're mm-hmm. in our hope. We don't put our trust in princes. And that's, that's like, I, I cannot think of anything better to, than that to say, uh, is that this, if, if, if we're putting our hope in, in you know, a president or a senator or a representative, then what in the world are you doing in church the next morning? Like, that's, yeah. that's, I've really that's wondered stupid. why this bothers people as much as it does. Well, yeah, exactly. Like it's people who weren't involved and kind of don't have skin in the game. Doug, the, the, this is endemic of the mission of, like, this is our mission as LCI, right? Is that we are, I mean, as it pertains to the United States, at least. Yeah. The American civil religion is alive and well. It is the religion of America. Mm. Yep. Yep. That the, the, the one true church is in recession, if you will. And there are plenty of Christians out there who are hoodwinked and who don't realize this. There are brothers and sisters as well, and they need to be convinced that they're kind of in the in a way like looking at looking and serving at two masters. Yeah, this is the mission. So you know, until we figure that, until the church figures that out, you're just going to have more of this in the future. And it's happened before, and it will happen again until we do. All the civil wars continuing to go out in foreign interventions, allowing government to run amok. In, this, in these sorts of things are endemic of putting our hope in princes. Yeah. That's just, this is, this is the natural outgrowth. These are, this is the systemic portion that we are, you know, opposing here. Yeah, yeah. And sure. those, these sorts of ethical values that we hold are what we're, like, we have to, this is what we're spreading. We have to spread that. And that is a, and it's a matter of the gospel in this case, is that if, if Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, that's what your hat says too. <laughs> you too so can like, have a hat like mine. Yeah, you too. LibertarianChristians.com. You know, and, I, I, the, the circles that that I'm in, at least as far as my particular left leaning friends, the thing that I have observed over the past year, and both with COVID and this election, was the hyper focus on Trump. It was, you know, Trump's fault for the response to COVID. And it was Trump's fault for the economy. It was Trump's fault for, you know, all of the election problems. Like, it's, yeah. the, there was all this hyper-focus on, on Trump. It's almost to the point, I would say, you know, they talk about, quote-unquote, Trump derangement syndrome, right? <laughs> and it, 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 it almost goes both ways, I think, because you have, mm-hmm. on the one side, you have those people who think that Trump is going to be the savior and bring back a constitutional republic. And then on the other side, you have people who really, truly believe that he was a fascist dictator and 
was going to turn this into a the third right. I, I don't even know. And so all of that focus has been on Trump and they've they've not been paying attention to anything else yep. about what's going on. And so in their in their eyes, it's just, well, Trump's gone now. And so thank God that that Twitter has finally, you know, booted him off the platform. That's that's what their thinking is. And now they think it's going to be all over and we can finally start to heal. Like when they talk about that healing thing, they think mm. that it's all Trump's fault. Yeah. And it's almost, you know, it, it's that idolatry that, that yeah. we go back to. I mean, there's idolatry on the pro-Trump side, but there's idolatry on the, on the anti-Trump side and it has to do with Trump. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's weird to me. Well, that, the idolatry is, it, let, let's be clear. The idolatry is, is not even merely to a person. Right. It is to, if you will, Americanism. Yeah. That's, that is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why they say, that's why they're using and why I'm, well, that's why they're so outraged at what went on in the Capitol. And it's why I use the words holy of holies to describe what they did. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, that's what people believe. I have a friend who just, just before this came on Facebook and was saying, well, this was a national crisis. It's, it's way worse than BLM. And I'm like, <laughs> why? And, and they're like, cause they're attacking the government. This is an insurrection. Like this is, this is way worse. And my, my, I thought the government was just the people. My re- yeah. yeah, right. My reaction to this is like, okay, Again, how many people had to die and get injured and lose their property and their businesses because of these BLM protests on top of the lockdowns? How many of those people had to have to suffer before you find them equal to a few hours of inconvenience for the Congress? Like that doesn't even begin to make sense to me. Yeah. Jason, I'm going to give you the final work because I gave you sort of the like, you know, the, a whole bunch of intros. I'm going to let you wrap us up here. <laughs> I know. And I dominated a lot of the conversation. I appreciate you guys giving me the place to do it. But yeah, one thing I think that I've noticed, so I got a lot of empathy for both Trump and the Trump movement, actually starting earlier this year. And there's a number of reasons for it, but I also started to recognize in myself, I have come to the conclusion, we could debate this, but I just started to feel like the left, empowered and emboldened by the media, Hollywood, academia, uh, corporate stuff, like all of that, that what could be accomplished to take away liberty is way different than what Trump and the right can do because they don't have those other things going for them. And for those who still would be like, Trump's a fascist, it's like, he's a terrible one if he is, because that <laughs> coup would have been way better. Like, <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, it's just like- If, if he was trying to coordinate it, yeah, like he would have definitely gone different. Yeah, yeah. He, he's just, it's, I've heard people be like, well, he just isn't very good at it. And boy, he had people holding him back. And it's like, no, that's just not even accurate. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not dangerous. I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying there's okay. not dangerous in authoritarian impulses. There are. Yeah. I just think that when you throw the media and all these other f- cultural shaping forces in with it, it's it's way worse. And so- so that's how that's how I kind of fell on that. But then something came out here. I was reading on Twitter. There's this guy, Libertarian in Chief, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> and he, he had a post about this. And I just want to read it because uh, he said, valid reasons to storm the Capitol, remove a t- tyrannical power, endless wars, Patriot Act, ridiculous taxation, 
national debt, expanding executive power, invalid reasons to storm the Capitol. Your guy lost. Now, mm-hmm. number one, that really dismisses what's happening there. But number two, one thing I've noticed is libertarians have not stormed the Capitol for those reasons over the last 20 years. And so the, the ones he says are good ideas, right? So from a purely libertarian perspective, I think it's really, really, and, and I'm going a little libertarian party right now because I think we need to recognize like the state has an impact on our lives and we've got to find a way to curtail it. We've got to find a way to stop it. And political means, I don't know how, how we implement those in order to do it, but it seems like the Libertarian Party is totally ineffective, has lost ballot access, has never stormed the Capitol for any of those reasons, right, that are supposedly just. And what you would want to notice is that the MAGA movement did it and has put the pressure on state legislatures and congressmen and senators to actually make a stand on this issue of election integrity, whether or not those senators and congressmen actually believe it. Let's pretend they don't. But enough pressure was mounted around one issue to actually Mm. drive people, bodies in the streets for eight weeks, millions of people, senators putting their careers on the line on this one issue. I think there's something that we can learn from what has happened around this about it. Like, I just think, think there's something to take in and say, okay, When it comes to the issues that we think are really important, that we think we need to take a stand for, that we need to regain our liberties in, how far can we go as libertarians and as Christians to put pressure on those who are pulling the levers on our lives and making things terrible for us? I don't have an answer. I just, that's something I've been thinking about. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap this up. And at the Libertarian Christian Institute, we'll be doing our best to give you some material and I guess equip you with the right way of thinking about how to how to deal with politics. And that, that could include starting with buying our book. I wish I could reach for it right now, but I'd go <laughs> off camera for it. But uh, we have I would a book. have to as well. Do, do, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I got it right there. I know. We ain't seeking freedom. We all need to bring it up at the same time. Yeah, we did that in the previous. Yeah, Yeah. right. Buy this book. If we go like this, I can maybe Photoshop it in. (laughs) 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 uh, So, no, we we appreciate you uh, visiting libertarianchristians.com, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 